Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Welcome to the first in a series of special Star Trek retrospective podcasts leading up to the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and the upcoming new feature film entitled Star Trek Beyond. I am Craig DeMonda and I'm joined by an amazing group of hosts, Russell Latham. What's going on, sir? Hey. Hey. Jim Dietz. Ah, uh, hailing frequencies open, Captain. <laughs> Mr. Richard Chubtoad Sheldon. Lieutenant Commander Chubtoad, reporting as ordered, sir. <laughs> and last but not least, Daryl Taylor of the Taylor uh, Network of Podcasts. What's going on, Daryl? Hey, Captain Bertrand is here. Hey. <laughs> I was just going to say, you better yeah, say man. The only one who actually exists within the real Star Trek canon. <laughs> That's great. I want to hear about that. Yeah. Why is Daryl the only red shirt? I, look, hey. <laughs> we never know. They don't all die, right? It's Captain Bertrand to you, buddy. Yeah. So Scotty didn't die. That's no. true. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So this all began, uh, and the reason we're doing this, this all began a phenomenon called Star Trek. It's September 8th, 1966. We're now going up to the 50th anniversary. Uh, it was 8.30 at night on NBC. This phenomenon known as Star Trek spawned 13 movies, seven different television series, countless novels, comics, and fan films. All of us on this podcast, and probably many, many more, uh, that just couldn't join us tonight are huge Star Trek fans uh, above and beyond what we usually talk about on our other shows. So I wanted to get everyone together and kind of do a retrospective and just go back and talk about um, you know when and where each of you were first exposed to Star Trek. And in this case, we're going to be talking about the original series tonight. Who did you watch it with at first? What format? Was it on TV? Was it reruns, DVDs, Netflix? Just kind of where were you and, and uh, you know, recollecting. So I guess I'll start with you, Russ. Uh, where were you first exposed to this, this Star Trek? Uh, well, I, I lived uh, – when I was a small child, I lived uh, in Chicago. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the first real episodes I actually watched were the, uh, the Cage parts one and two. Um, because it was like a movie they WGN used to show them I can't remember if it was like a like Saturday nights or Sunday nights or something like that they would show uh, Star Trek on you know eight or nine o'clock at night or something like that my dad would usually watch it and it was on they, Saturday nights because I was in Chicago at the same time well there you have it um, and they they showed the cage as a like a movie event one night where they they showed both episodes together. Uh, and I just thought it was a really cool – I mean at the time, of course, I had no idea on the history of that episode. You know, I just I just thought it was, well, this is just uh, you know, part of this series and it just kind of flowed and, and I watched it. 
Um, and my dad was a he he learned to watch it after uh, in reruns because when it hit his original air date, he was in the army, so he was overseas for a good portion of uh, of the original run. So he didn't catch it until after he came back and was out of the army. So this is probably like nineteen, I guess nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. Uh, is probably when I first started watching it. And then I would I wasn't like an avid watcher. I would kind of watch it if it was on kind of thing. I didn't uh you know, I mean, I was a kid, I played outside and you know, did all that kind of stuff. So I didn't um avidly watch it, but I always watched it if it was on. Like if it was on TV, I would stop what I was doing and watch it. Um and then uh, I'd watch them quite a bit. And it wasn't until we moved to Houston actually in the mid 80s and I forget one of the UHF stations would show every night at like 10 or 1030. They would they would show it. Um, and I actually would stay up at, at night and actually I recorded it on the VHS um, every episode and would pause the commercials out and everything. So I had all these VHS tapes of the series and go back and watch them. So I, I have a real fondness for uh, for the original series. And, uh, you know, like all things back in the earlier i would say i won't say early days of tv but the earlier days of tv uh, i didn't really judge it too harshly on the effects and uh, and some of the other stuff because of course uh, you know back then and and being uh being a kid you you uh you tend to forgive and forget a lot that's great jim how about you uh the first time i actually my dad and i did not get along very well my dad was kind of like a, a redneck cracker racist kind of guy and we didn't. We never really got along. But one thing we did agree on was Star Trek. And I remember when he was working on the Alaska Pipeline, uh, we lived in Valdez, Alaska, in the late seventies. This was I don't know. I was like seven, eight years old, maybe. And the only TV that was up there was cable TV, and it was on from noon until midnight. And every Saturday night they would show two episodes. I remember it was the Six Million Dollar Man, and then they would show two episodes of uh, the original Star Trek, and if I could stay up late enough, I, I was allowed to watch Twilight Zone uh, before they signed off for the night, because there was the only the one like cable distribution of television up there, because it was a company town in the middle of nowhere in Alaska at that point. There was no satellite TV. There was no internet. This was a long, long time ago. But it was like the one thing that my, my dad and I kind of bounded on was the original Star Trek. I mean, and I remember as a kid, pre-Star Wars, and I think a lot of people forget this, like the the only really big sci-fi franchises out there were Planet of the Apes and Star Trek. Mm. And I remember when, uh, you know, my dad showing me Star Trek, and, and then when Star Wars came out, I had such enthusiasm for it. And then my dad, when they he heard they were going to make a new Star Trek movie, it was like he was, it was like his Star Wars. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, you know, my... The show, and then we went to go see Star Trek the movie, and it was what it was. But uh, anyway, but I remember uh, watching it, and uh, you know, I've, I've seen all the uh, you know original episodes, um, you know, multiple times, just watching it growing up and everything. Um, and then again, I remember I, I worked uh, uh, managing a kitchen here in Pittsburgh when I first moved here, and every night when I got home at like three in the morning, one of the stations would have Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then Star Trek: The Original Series, one right after the other, and then Deep Space Nine. I think it was like at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, or 4 in the morning. It might have been the Paramount affiliate. It was one of the UHF stations. But I would get home about 1 in the morning, all wired up from working or in a kitchen restaurant all night and drinking coffee all day. And uh, you know, I would I would get home and have a few beers and wind down. I'd watch all three Star Treks. So I, I ended up getting a new appreciation for those in my adult years as well. Um, I remember having a lot of the Mego toys. 
when I was a kid, including the bridge with the transporter that spun around and made it look like the figures disappeared. <laughs> um, I remember reading a lot of the novelizations by Alan Dean Foster and uh, and James Blish and DC Fontana and Dave Gerald. A lot of a lot of whom you know wrote for the series itself or, or and uh, wrote for the next generation later. So um, I've a real you know nostalgia and and fondness for for uh, Star Trek, especially the original series. And then later, my sister and I kind of bonded over the next generation because she kind of introduced me to that, and I, I kind of came back to the original series when I first was discovering the next generation in a weird way, and um, you know I had a new appreciation for both. So yeah, and the animated series I remember as a kid. Uh, watching Superhost in Cleveland uh, when we moved back from from uh, over you know up, up north, and uh, he would show a Godzilla movie or like a, a you know a Frankenstein movie or whatever in the uh, Saturday afternoon, and then uh, end with the uh, uh, Star Trek the animated series. Uh, a lot of the times uh, after the movie, he would show something you know some cartoon, some weird cartoon. Usually Star Trek the animated series. I remember watching all of them and really liking them a lot as a kid. And still liking them as adult, but like uh, the you know the animation is a little rough. But um, uh, really like being able to see them kind of go for it with some of these stories in a way they didn't really have the budget to with the TV show. Um, you know, take on some really interesting ideas and stuff they couldn't really do in a live action show. So again, I have a real fondness for those characters, and uh, you know, I I I love some of them like every um, all the even numbered movies <laughs> with that cast too. <laughs> um, so I, I have a real fondness and nostalgia for that kind of stuff. I remember, like I said, you know, huddling around late at night after my, my mom and sister, uh, sisters had gone to sleep with my dad, uh, watching, uh, the, the original Star Trek. Very cool. Chubb? Well, like Russ, I, I was living in the Chicago area, uh, Aurora, um, and WGN, I think is where I first saw Star Trek, but it, it was very interesting when Chub Toad was just a Chub Tadpole. Um, <laughs> I would real little. I would hear my dad talk about Star Trek, you know, with my uncle or something like that. But you know, I didn't really know what it was. I just knew it was Dad's show he watched. You know, basically, I didn't watch it because my mother didn't want me watching it because afraid that I was too young to see the creatures and whatnot. You know. Um. But then uh, my Uncle Jim had some of the Gold Key comics from, like, 68 and 69. And uh, I live, we lived next door to my grandparents, and my Uncle Jim still, he was a kid. Um, I got a hold of those, and I started reading these stories, and then I started talking to my dad about it. And um, I just remember it was on a Saturday afternoon or, or evening, and... He sat me down, and the first episode I got to see was a rerun of Arena. Um, oh, yeah. And it, it was so perfect. I mean, I just – I was drawn in immediately. That goofy, non-movable, <laughs> rubber-masked creature. <laughs> I just – I was just in awe of it, and I just was fascinated. And that was probably 1977, 78. So reruns, you caught it on. Okay. Oh yeah, well I wasn't born until seventy two, so yeah. oh, even even me and my ancient uh, ancientness did not see it in the original run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I feel like I did. 
in my mind I did. <laughs> it's, I, I'm telling you, it was like ingrained into my DNA because it's kind of the same thing. I watched a few episodes as a kid there in the end of the 70s going into the 80s, but I didn't really, you know, I saw, I remember, you know, like the next episodes I saw were uh, reruns of the Menagerie, Menagerie Part 1 and 2. Um, you know, the Tholian web and a few others, but then I kind of lost touch with it a little bit. And, you know, cause then I started getting interested in Dukes of Hazard, a team GI Joe, you know, Transformers, Knight Rider. Knight Rider yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but then when the next generation girls. came along, oh, girls, uh, came, mm-hmm. next generation came along. Uh, it's just like what Jim was saying. I, I just, I, I bonded with a lot of my friends over that and, you know, it got us going back to the original series. And I mean, just within a couple of years of that freshman, I would be in a sophomore in high school, start going to uh, Star Trek conventions, you know, filled out the full nerd role, had the uniforms and everything. But yeah, live long and prosper, live long and prosper. That's great. Mm-hmm. Daryl, how about you? I know you're a big Star Trek fan as well. So how did you first get exposed to the original series? Uh, It used to come on locally uh, in New York. It would come on uh, at 6 p.m. on Saturdays. Channel 11, right? Because I grew up in New York, too. Yeah, Channel 11. And and when I, you know, you come and eat dinner. When you're playing, you come, you know, you got to come and eat dinner and you go back out. My mother would always put on, either my grandfather would put it on, my mother would put it on. It was just naturally... Star Trek. That's something that we could all watch while we were eating. Um, and so I, it's always been ingrained in my head. To It was always that either I would watch it on Saturday at 6, and then it, I think they repeated it again at like maybe 11 or something yeah, like later. that. Right, yeah. That night, and I would watch that at night when, before I go to bed. So it was just a natural thing to always watch Trek. Um, and then when it came out in the movies... When they did the uh, the motion picture, uh, you know, my mother was like, well, I know he's going to want to see it. I mean, she didn't care. I, as boring as that movie probably was to her, she knew that I was definitely going to want to go see it. So <laughs> I remember her taking me going to see that. Um, and when Next Generation came out, there was just no question I was going to watch that, too. So I watched that when that came on. Then when they uh, did D Space Nine. Like, there's been no incarnation of Trek that I have not watched uh, multiple times from the even the cartoons to then I started reading the books. I did. So it's just always been, you know, ingrained, uh, you know, my love of, of Star Trek. I mean, just like Star Wars. And then, um, you know, as I got older, I started reading some of the comics. And then uh, a buddy of mine uh, that I knew before Star Trek uh, J.K. Woodward, he started to actually, he got a job at IDW working on Star Trek books. So um, he's a, another Trek nerd. So we would always, you know, like we would talk. When we got to the the point of being so drunk that we're just uh, slurring, <laughs> we would always get in a conversation about Trek. Drinking like, too much so- Saurian brandy, huh? Exactly. We would yeah. have too much Saurian brandy. Too much Tranya. Tranya, oh, yeah. that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and we would get into so many. We've, we've had hours of, of conversations about Trek and just a love of Trek. So when he got in there, he kind of put me in one of the books he did. The The first time he did it was in, um, it was uh, Doctor Who. It was a Doctor Who Star Trek crossover. So um, you are in canon. You are actually... Yeah, a character's based in on canon. 
Okay. Yeah, they, what they did was they used the character. There's a friend that Riker mentions that he, I think it was with him on the Pegasus, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no, okay, no, 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 ship, no, 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 not the Pegasus, the, um, the name of that ship. What, his Farragut? old ship, the Hood? It might have been. No, 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 actually it was the Pegasus. They were okay. friends. They were friends out of the Academy. And, Are you um, talking about the one they did just a couple of years ago? Yeah, the the uh, Doctor Who squared. Oh, I have those. I need to go back and look at them. Then. And there's a mention of like a friend. You never see him, but it's just a mention of uh, Bertrand. But you you just never see him. <laughs> and he put me in as the. You, since you don't know, I mean, it, you know, it's no big deal. He just slid me in as a memory uh, with Riker, and then had me be one of the the Borg uh, conduits. That you know, I, that my, after my ship was destroyed, I was you know my body was taken and I was uh, assimilated and all that. And he put me in as the the board conduit, um, and that was just amazing to be able to be in a, a Star Trek book like that. Um, and then from there, he put me in another one. Uh, this was on the recent one, like a year ago or so, and that was the. They were actually able to, they got the license to um, do the comic version of taking the original script of City on the Edge of Forever. And he got to uh, hang out with um, with the writer of that. And, Harlan Ellison? Yeah, Ellison. Oh, he wow. got to hang out at his house and he has his phone number and he gets to talk to him. And he's been in his secret rooms that he has all over the his uh, house that he has. And uh, he put me in that, too, is one of the aliens that when time gets kind of shifted, um, I'm one of the aliens that that's standing on the bridge of the Enterprise in, in one of the uh, <laughs> shift in time. So but it's just uh, and, and now he's working. Well, he can't even tell anybody what he's working on, but he's actually working on some stuff for Paramount, who they're preparing for the anniversary so he's working on a couple of things there. And a lot of it's just for the execs to look at first. And I think it's like, uh, you know, different like uh, po- uh, posters and things of that nature, images of all the uh, the c- different crews and captains and stuff. So every time he talks about he's working on something, you know, he'll still send me, you know, he'll send me a message and we'll, I'll start squealing like a little girl. <laughs> um, when he talks about it, because it's just so amazing. Um, That's great. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I love Trek. I mean, I've always I still watch it on my own. Like you know, just if I'm on on the treadmill or whatever, I'll download a couple of episodes and I'll watch that while I'm uh, killing myself on the on the elliptical and uh, <laughs> kills time. But I've I've always loved uh, Trek. You know, like even the ones that are not the fan favorites per se i mm. still you know i still there's it's just something about that world of trek. it's still star trek even a bad episode of star trek yeah. is still star trek it's just something about that world that I, you just go into it and i've only let the books kind of like oh, there's so many books going on right now that i've kind of missed um a lot of it because there's these stories after set after um the next generation ends where the Borg have just like annihilated everything almost. And now they have to like kind of rebuild. 
because of the last attack that that happened and it's just and i'm trying to see if i can kind of get into it because they don't have audiobooks for the star trek stuff i don't know why they don't do it but um they don't they don't convert too many of them to audio but i did get to meet um he was a guest at one of the cons and it was they had all this well they got as many star trek people that they could get so i got to meet jonathan franks and i think i scared him Wait, you just yeah. said, I'm your friend. You remember me? I'm Bertrand. Yeah, I did. I said that. I'm your friend. I'm, huh? I, see, I'm in the book. I'm in the book with you. I'm your friend. I know I had the crazy eye because I was so happy. And he looked. He was like, oh, that's nice. And then he walked away. Uh-oh. And I met Ahura. Uh, I met. She was Michelle. walking. Yeah. Michelle Nichols was walking by. And I, I waved at her. And I said, you, you're great. And she stopped. And she said, hello. And um. I saw Chekhov. We didn't talk to him, but but I got to, to see him. And I got to go into the green room where the, everybody sits in the back, but you, you don't want to be that guy. You know, right? so <laughs> super fan sandwich. And you'd be like, hey, you know, I used to watch you on. How was it when you were on the Enterprise and you had to pretend to shake back and forth? And, and you know, like they don't want to hear all that. <laughs> they go back there. So that's but, funny. Story on that. Good experience. You know, my first exposure to, I'm probably maybe one of the youngest on here. I'm 35. I was born in 1981 and also grew up in the New York area. Um, my first ex- Star Trek experience really was the next generation. I was about seven when that show came out, which is the perfect age, really, honestly. That was amazing television. Oh, I feel so old. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was my first exposure to Star Trek. And once I started, started getting hooked on the next generation, I was like a sponge. I wanted to see everything. And I used to go to the video store with my father, and we would rent all the movies on tape. You know, all, all I guess at that point, four or five of them they may have had out at the time. And um, the, the episodes weren't readily available on tape. There was a few there, but not many. Uh, the reruns were there on Channel 11. I did watch them, but I, I had a hard time going from – the next generation to the original series at that point. Fast forward now, I've obviously watched every bit of Star Trek that could be possible, every episode of every show. And then it came a point when, I don't know if you guys remember, but when the remastered Star Trek came out, I think it was on DVD first, before Mm -hmm. it hit Blu-ray. They changed all the graphics and made it a little bit more updated, the the imagery, the the effects. Yeah, that was for the Blu-ray. Was it for the Blu-ray? Okay. Yeah, because they... They had to do it for the Blu-ray because they were – it was all kind of the same situation like The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. They they mastered the effects on videotape, um, not on the original film. Oh, so it looked terrible when they scaled when you, it up. Yeah, when you translate that, it looks like – it looks terrible. So they went and, and redid it so that way when they convert it to Blu-ray, it, it actually looked decent. And I obviously would watch all of the um, – like they had um, – Marathons occasionally, sometimes on, again, Channel 11 in New York, they had like July 4th and New Year's. Sometimes they alternate between Twilight Zone and Star Trek, and they play almost every episode of the series or a good chunk of them. I would tape all of those. Um, but getting back to when they started remastering them, I, they, I started really watching those a lot again. And then fast forward to today with really, honestly, Netflix, every single of the 79 episodes, including The Cage, is up there. So in the last several years with Netflix, I've actually really caught up and watched every single episode, not just the highlighted ones that you know we've all seen before, you know, The City mm-hmm. on Edge of Forever and Arena and Balance of Terror. We've all seen those, but 
I'm now caught up and watched every single one. And I'm glad I did because I have a new appreciation. I think because I'm older now. It seemed campy when I was younger, the original series. But now that I'm older, I have a really, really great appreciation, greater appreciation of the original series. And I've, and, and I've just enjoyed uh, experiencing them, honestly, for the first time in some cases. And then watching them again and again, again, due to Netflix. I didn't have to go out and buy the Blu-rays. They're pretty much all up there in their HD quality, uh, thankfully, on Netflix. So I'm really glad about that. So getting back to some of our favorite episodes, I mean, there's so many great moments in this series. I, I mean, there's lists out there. I've got a list right in front of me from Hollywood.com of the top, you know, they ranked all the 79 episodes and they've got their top 10 and then obviously beyond that. But just recollecting, what are the ones that really stood out in your memories that, uh, that really made an impact on you? I guess we'll start again with Russ. Did we lose Russ? I was muted. I'm sorry. No problem. Uh, for me, like I mentioned before, the whole menagerie part one and two, because I just, you know, in Star Trek, at least for the original series, that was the only time that they took, um, you know, an episode and it was really two parts. And then when you go back and realize what that really was, that was the unaired pilot that they clipped together to make a story that fit with the current series. I was just kind of mesmerized by that. And I guess it was in the 80s. It was before Next Generation started, but I, th- I think they they put all of the original episodes out on a series of videotapes. And mm. the first one was the original. Columbia pilot. House. Yeah. Was it Columbia first- House? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I, yeah, the- I have some of those still. Yeah. The and they first look good one- at the time. Like they would look nice looking tapes. Oh, right? sure, sure. Yeah. The first one they did was the was the unaired pilot of the cage. They clipped it together Mm -hmm. and they pulled whatever they could. And it was really interesting because there were some sequences that they only had, I guess the black and white masters or whatever. And so you're watching the thing and then it would cut over to, you know, some black and white footage. Then there would, it cut over to some footage that was really grainy and, and the audio was crummy in certain scenes. Yeah. 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 Stuff that wasn't in the menagerie. It's like, that was where the crummy audio came in. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, you know, it had this really cool intro to it, you know, to, to you know, say, hey, this is this is kind of the history of of this episode. So it was really cool uh, to kind of get that. Uh, but for me, and I'm sure this is going to be the same for everybody, and we could probably almost have a separate discussion uh, on this uh, episode. But to me, The City on the Edge of Forever is probably one of the greatest episodes of television oh. Ever put, ever. I mean, well, period. Let me play a little little clip that I've got from that and uh, refresh everyone's memory on the city of Edge of Forever. And what is it? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. One day soon, man is going to be able to harness incredible energies, maybe even the atom. Energies that could ultimately hurl us to other worlds in in some sort of spaceship. And the men that reach out into space will be able to find ways to feed the hungry millions of the world and to cure their diseases. They will be able to find a way to give each man hope and a common future. 
And those are the days worth living for. I'm sorry. Spark. I believe I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Jim, Edith Keeler must die. Wow. Great if that television. Doesn't, yeah, if that doesn't blow your mind back. I mean. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that whole episode, I mean, it was just the fact that you had to take the protagonist of the story and allow her to die in order for history itself, you know, the, the history of the United States to not, or the, the world at that point, to, to not be destroyed or to, you know, to fall into chaos. And and then you add the love story to it. You add Joan Collins and who, you know, peak of beauty, Joan I was Collins. I say, how incredibly lovely was she at that point? I mean. Oh, my God. Um, it, it was just a, it just an incredible, incredible story. And I couldn't imagine in 1967 watching this um, and, and wondering kind of what what impact that episode would have had to people watching it. Because it's just that's not, you know, this is an era of, you know, when Alfred Hitchcock presents is on and he has to give a little blurb at the end to show that the person didn't get away with doing something bad because of, you know, censors and and standards and practices and and here they have you know one of the again main characters of the of the story that they have to let die and you know just the whole aspect of time travel you know the fact that they did that cool thing where McCoy goes in and then they go in right after him but yet they they you know he's been there for a while you know they, they get there so much earlier than he gets there and right right you know just just all of that is is it was just a phenomenal story I mean it you know, it just it it's it of all the Star Trek when you look at some of it doesn't age well at all, um, and then you look at a story like this and it's pretty much timeless, uh, at least in my opinion. It is well, it's controversial too because I absolutely we're always hearing about Ellison complaining that his original script was not used, it was not done, but it just was stuff on there you just couldn't do. They just wouldn't let yeah. you do on TV. Which, I mean, those are some pretty deep sci-fi concepts to be throwing around on primetime television in the sixties. Well, he like, had yeah. drug at it. He had. Uh, they were. He was using. Basically, he wanted to have it that two of the crew members, and this went against what everything that Roddenberry didn't want to do. They were using drugs to on worlds that were inhabited that were you know lesser uh, technology and stuff, and he was basically giving them drugs to get them addicted, and then. After he gets them addicted, he was, you know, using that to 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 get things from that culture that they want that he wanted, hmm. and that's wow. the original thing. Like they would do that, and then the guy that they they eventually one of the crew members also got addicted to drugs, and um, the guy that did it, he he kind of lo- he went crazy when they caught him, and so he ran off and jumped through the. The, it was uh, him instead of McCoy. That was the yeah, biggest change. McCoy wasn't okay. even in the story. Like McCoy yeah. not even wasn't even in the script. And it was just that guy that uh, was doing the illegal stuff that ran off and, and went through. And they had to get him. So they had to go through time and wait for him to uh, appear so they can catch. When you look at studio system TV in the late '60s, so it, you know it's amazing that some of Ellison's deeper ideas even made it into the script. Let alone 
that they you know, didn't adapt it more. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense they would want to put McCoy in the story because he's one of the main characters. Oh, yeah. It would make sense, of course, they wouldn't want to use you know drug addiction as a main plot point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Ellison was really ahead of his time in a lot of ways in his fiction and, okay. and with the script. I mean, like I said, we really haven't had like time travel, like big sci-fi concepts like mm-hmm. that in TV before, you know. So. Yeah, he kind of did what you know, like what the with the some of the uh, what they did to the Native Americans with the diseases and stuff. Just kind of dealing with that, like you know, like right. Starfleet officers were actually you know contaminating uh, contaminating primitive planets or other, something. Yeah, they were preying yeah. on other other planets when they visited, and that you know, I know Roddenberry's head probably spun when he read that because <laughs> yeah. he he's always steadfast in. That the the Federation, they're you know the, it's a utopia. We don't you know we don't do these things. It's 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 you know everyone is steadfast in their morality. But then at the same time, there are episodes in the original series where uh, there's captains that go crazy. And so the one guy set up, the one guy sets up like Nazi Germany on a on an undeveloped planet. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, and, uh, patterns and, of force. I think it's called. Or, yeah, and, yeah. And runs things that way. Plus, there's that whole the very first episode with the uh, the Klingons, where there's like a, a real they're setting up a real metaphor for the Cold War. You yeah, know what sure. I mean? yeah. By by arming you know lesser you know giving them phaser technology and stuff like that. They're obviously you know, making a statement about the U.S. and the USSR. Yeah, it's almost like the Klingons were kind of like the, I guess the Russians, and then mm-hmm. the Romulans were kind of like the the Japanese. Interesting, the cold in warriors turn, of sorts, uh, right? Like the cold the times. War, yeah. right, right, and they they were steadfast in their beliefs, and you know, but they they were standoffish and didn't and they did not um, interact with any of the Federation planets too much, so it was kind of that thing with them. Plus, you didn't even get to see them, <laughs> you know, they didn't yeah. even know what they looked like in the in the show, and they had technology that we didn't have, you know, cloaking technology, we didn't have that. Until we stole it. So the city on Edge of Forever is ranked number one on this list. And I think, Chubb, you even said it's ranked number one on several lists out there as far as the number I, one episode of Star Trek. IGN, Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. There's, of course, of course, too, is uh, Dr. Severn and the Space Hippies, right? Go into no. Eden, brother. <laughs> oh, my God. has got to be number two, right? Right. Uh, that one's on the, uh, higher up the list. Let's just put it that way. All right. Well, then number two is going to be the one with the space children with Miri, right? Uh, no, unfortunately, uh, no. That one, nandy, nandy, the grups. Yeah. No, Miri didn't make the top ten oh, either. Man. So, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Oh. Neither did Spock's brain. Okay. I, I that can, I that can... jam session with Spock and the space hippies. It really jams. Like, what did he he's say? He's like playing his like you know Vulcan harp or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jamming with the hippies and Aurora, Aurora's like singing along and stuff. I mean, Man, how could that not be number two? Listen, if that's episodes on TV, you're still going to watch it, though, right? I mean, come yes. on. Okay. Yes. That, that's that's the beauty of this. Of course, man. That episode's hilarious. <laughs> it is, though. It is. Um, I guess if you want to follow the list here, number two, we can all recollect together. Maybe it'll be easier. Uh, number two is ranked as Arena. Uh, we've said that a couple of times. The Gorn mm-hmm. episode. It's really a good one. Number three is Mirror, Mirror. That's oh sure yeah your agonizer Mr Kyle. <laughs> why I have would, a little. Why would he give it to him? <laughs> sure, okay, I'll give you this thing. It's just going to make me feel lots and lots of pain. 
the agony booth. You know that that's the agony booth. Yeah, right. the worst. <laughs> Full duration, Captain. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because that episode, even despite what you think about the episode itself, even if it's not in your top, whatever. I mean, that episode had an ungodly long-lasting effect on oh, pop no culture doubt. intelligent television. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's the concept of okay, if you have a goatee, you're evil. Evil. Yeah, right. I was going to say every evil twin, every evil bubble has to have a goatee now. Uh, yeah, I've got a little montage from Mirror Mirror. Let's uh, let's pull it up right here. Traitorous pig! I'll hang you up by your Vulcan ears. I'll have you all executed. I think not. Your authority on this ship is extremely limited, Captain. The four of you will remain here in the brig and in custody until I discover how to return you to wherever it is you belong. There's a whole galaxy gone crazy. What kind of a uniform is this? Where's your beer? What's going on? Where's my personal guard? I can answer none of your questions at this time. <laughs> All right, Spock. Whatever your game is, I'll play it. You want credits, I'll give them to you. You'll be a rich man. A commander your own? I can swing that too. Apparently, some kind of transposition has taken place. I find it extremely interesting. Spock, what is it that will buy you? Power. Fascinating. <laughs> and again, name any other TV show that would have dealt with parallel universes. Right. Know, that concept of a TV show. <laughs> maybe I mean, Twilight Zone at that time. Right. Yeah, maybe. That was other than that. Yeah. Like the Outer Limits, maybe. And even better, it's like, okay, the women of Star Trek don't look sexy enough. Let's make them sexier. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Ooh, and, yeah. Then, and then it's, I mean, and then to have it where it affected and continue doing it in all the other series. Yep. I mean, just the interaction that they had with the Spock of the mirror universe and how they affected him. I mean, that totally, and it didn't change it for the better. <laughs> that's, he was, yeah, he was still, I mean, they were still essentially themselves. You yeah. know, Kirk was, and for Spock, I mean, they were still Kirk and Spock and everything, but evil, totally evil. Yeah. And he had one, gotten the one, Spock to change and, and Spock did change, but then he wound up getting murdered by others because it's the world of evil. I mean, yeah. it's the, you know, we find out about that later in Deep Space Nine. Actually, yeah, right? They, yeah. they pick up the story, and then actually continues in a prequel fashion in Enterprise. So they, we do revisit the set universe a few times, oh. which was awesome. Oh, yeah. of course. Oh, I mean, yeah. not to get too derail too much, but oh. say what you want about Enterprise, but that episode with the mirror, mirror, where it starts yeah. off with the thing from First Contact, and then oh. they shoot Zephyr and Cochran. That was good. Or they shoot the. I guess they shoot the. Vulcan. They shoot the Vulcan. Right. They, they went Vulcan. for it for and that episode. It's just like what, and then yeah. you see the Constitution class Enterprise destroying the NX Enterprise, and it's yeah. it's, it's totally fan service. But we, we needed that; it was good. Yeah, did, yeah. the the only one did Voyager, Voyager do? Uh, no, Voyager no. didn't play, but Voyager they did go the back. Do one either? They had the one with George Takei. They went back to the Excelsior. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a memory with the Tuvok was with the, Tuvok, right? A memory he repressed. Yeah, right. But the next generation didn't I do also, it at all. I also remember, didn't the D, uh, DS9 do a crossover with the Tribbles episode? They did. They did. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah. was pretty awesome, the too. Most memorable that one award. DS9. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. From a technical perspective as well as from a cool story point. I mean, it was that, – that, that episode – well, I mean, we'll get to it when we talk about DS9. DS9, but, right, yeah. But it, uh, it – but – I thought it was a, a win-win, but, but yeah, mirror mirror. Too. It was good too. They, yeah. they continued that uh, Kirk and and uh, when he started, William Shatner started re, uh, doing books. 
um, like the return and all of that. It kind of went into some of those. I read all those books. Yeah. You know? That's great. It lets, lets the actors also, the characters, get out of their normal skin. And I guess they really enjoy that. They can sink their teeth into that kind of oh, role. Oh, he hammed it up. Oh, yeah. You heard it right there. You just heard him. It was oh. those full Kirk and, uh, Shatner ham mode right there. Totally. Totally. You know, one of the episodes, I doubt this is in the top ten of the list you have there. It's not in IGN or Entertainment Weeklies, but it's not necessarily one of my top ones, but it's most memorable to me because my parents would keep me from watching this episode when it reran. Uh, in the late 70s and early 80s and it's pretty shameful why but um, the episode Plato's Stepchildren that's a good one what was yeah. wrong with that? yeah let me see where that came in on this list because they did rank them all well think about what happened in Plato's number 62 wow that's kind of high up there wow yeah okay I could never understand why I wasn't allowed to watch this episode, and it's because my family had the strong belief of different yolks don't mix. Oh, okay, I got you. Oh, man. And when I finally <laughs> saw it, I was really confused. Um, what that I couldn't understand what was wrong. Mm. Um, but it's very interesting story is. Uh, the uh, that um, I've heard Shatner tell before. I think I've heard Nichelle Nichols tell it at a con before too. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the kiss, right? The uh, the yeah. kiss. They right. had they had several takes of it, and in every I take bet they but, did. Well, <laughs> but in every take but one, they actually kissed. But the the uh, standards and practices wanted them to ta- have one take of them not kissing. They just get close to mm-hmm. kiss. And um, it turns out that they ended up using that one in the original cut. Um, but then when they went to review the episode, <laughs> they noticed in that one cut, that one edit, uh, William Shatner is crossing his eyes and making a silly face as he's <laughs> down there in her face. So they couldn't use it and they couldn't cut that scene because it was so important. And because of time or something like that, they couldn't reshoot. So that's why they were able to put the kiss actually in there. Wow. That's great. You know, it's funny. I, I remember that episode. I just don't think the, nowadays that the kiss is a big deal, but I suppose back in the sixties, that was a really big deal. Yeah. Also, add to that the the um, well, it happens in Deep Space Nine, but uh, uh, two women kissing. On, yeah, well, they didn't yeah. have that on, on the original series, did they? No, but oh, I'm talking okay. about on Deep Space. I got Nine. you. The first it's televised just, uh, women kiss. Yeah, yeah, the first televised, especially yeah. for a show that's not at eight o'clock. This was mm. not after eight. This was at seven. I thought Roseanne did the first. Some, I think some affiliates wouldn't air that episode. It was with Dax. And it was a big deal. It was a yeah, really yeah, big yeah. deal. I mean, they directed really, that episode, and that was, was a, a good real one. kiss. I mean, the yeah. way that they, they did it, it didn't yeah. shy away from it. Like no. it really showed them kissing. So yeah, it was a big deal. It, wow. But but yeah. the the show was always kind of a or you know Roddenberry tried to blaze a trail as far mm. as. Uh, you know, that was one of his big things with the future is, you know, the things like prejudice and race and, right. you know, and, and shine a light on a lot of that stuff. I mean, having Uhura as a, as a key member of the crew, there's that one episode with Frank Gorshin in season three that let the let right. that be your last battlefield where yes. 
the one guy is black on the right side of his face and white yep. on the left, and the other guy is black on the left and white, white on the right. Classic. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, I, I mean, granted. <laughs> Those running scenes are yeah. great. They were it so was so funny. Yeah, right. it was like makeup wise and everything. It looked kind of ridiculous, but that wasn't the point. The point right. was right. it's so ridiculous that, you know, basically these two people, because the one side of their face is opposite the other, that they would be, uh, you know, at each other's throats exactly. over it and, and hate each other so much. You know, obviously he was trying to make an allegory to, yeah. you know, the late 60s and and, and what rights. was going on yeah. In, yeah, in the United States. So, uh, you, you had, know, again, yeah, black. Captains. I mean, you didn't. Yeah, I mean, there were leads in the show. Doctor Daystrom was black. uh, Lead scientist, right? Yeah, it was something to not to have. You know, to actually have that, and it was just normal. Yeah, you know, wasn't even mentioned like it was a big deal. So going on, number four was Balance of Terror on this list. Oh, I love that one too. Great one, huh? Yeah, Yeah, I think that's the one I was referring to before. That was like such an obvious metaphor for the Cold War. Oh yeah. You first uh, have the right. Romulans, and you know it's like a submarine right. battle. It kind of reminds me of that. You know, the yeah, you're in the, it was, in this, totally. Yeah, it's yeah, really cool. Yeah. And uh, it was the first time the Romulans, like when he shows it, when Mark Leonard shows up on the screen, you're like, whoa! For them, it was like the first time they'd ever they'd been at war with the Romulans, but never had communicated visually right. with each other. Yeah, so cool it was concept. Like a deal. Yeah, and uh, when the AMT came out with the line of models of all the different ships. That was like one of the coolest was the Romulan Bird of Prey. Oh, yeah. It had oh, the yeah. big decal of the, the yeah. Bird of Prey on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's painted. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Number nice. five, and this is one of my favorites for sure, probably beyond, closer to one than five, Space Seed. Oh, sure. Oh, yes, a given. I mean. Especially for what it sets up later in the in the franchise yeah. in Wrath yeah. of Khan. I mean, without, <laughs> without, without Space Seed, you don't get all that. You know? Yeah. I've got a little. Me. <laughs> I've got a little Ricardo for your listening pleasure. Let's uh, let's cue that up. Man would have ruled eventually, as Rome under Caesar. Think of its accomplishments. Then your sympathies were with. You are an excellent tactician, Captain. You let your second in command attack, while you sit and watch for weakness. You have a tendency to express ideas in military terms. It has been said that uh, social occasions are only warfare concealed. Many prefer it more honest, more open. You fled. Why were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. We. <laughs> great episode. I oh, mean, yeah. great acting too. Ricardo Montalban's just the man. Oh, he it was, was, so, it was so great when uh, in in the you know not to go too far afield here down the line, but in the movie Wrath of Khan, when uh, you know Chekhov wipes off the outside of the hull and it says Botany Bay. Mm-hmm. If you're like a, a, a fan of the old school, you know exactly. You knew exactly oh, at that yeah. moment. saw Botany Bay. Oh, like, yeah. oh no! I remember the special they did. Uh, the night before the, it was supposed to air in, in theaters yeah. when they did the they did Space Seed and they had did a thing where they added stuff that was cut. Oh, really? The episode. Yeah, they, they gave the whole episode because, you know, every time to fit it in that hour, they, you know, there's things that get cut out and they put everything in it and they did a whole thing of behind the scenes and then they aired Space Seed 
And then I remember going to the movies the next day. And I would yeah. love to see that. Is that anywhere like you can get that complete? Well, it's probably on the. It, I think if you see the Netflix versions or anything that was on either VHS or DVD, those right. are the full you're, length. Right, you're getting yeah. the full cut. The problem True. was because originally, you know, back then these episodes were 50, 51 minutes long. They only had exactly. like seven, eight minutes of commercial. <laughs> when they went into syndication, oh, they I chopped mean, them. You, they chopped them up because they were more. I mean, now it's even mm-hmm. worse. But I think even yeah. in the 80s and 90s, it was like an hour show was 45, 15 minutes of commercials and 45 minutes of show. Yeah. So little bits and pieces here and there always got clipped. So, yeah, I remember it was like an hour and 15 minutes when they when they because they put more commercials oh, wow. in it as well. So it yeah, was like yeah. an hour yeah. and 15 minutes mm-hmm. uh, when it aired. And then they had the special stuff after that. I'm I don't even think I got to sleep. Like I don't, I was yeah. like to wound some kid up like that. To, you were so wound up, you couldn't wait to see Khan the next I day. I could huh? not wait to go see Khan the next day, but he was. That's the, gonna be a fun conversation uh, to have when we get to the movies. Yeah, yeah. We'll arguably do that. the best of the six original movies. Yeah. Oh the, yeah, the best of all. Period. Yeah, I agree. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. First contact see, was good I, though. You know what though? Yeah. I just recently watched Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. That's a good and one. I think yeah. I think that's super underrated, man. Oh, David absolutely. Corner, oh, yeah. Nicholas Meyer. Oh, that's Meyer too. James so good in that. Meyer's direction is so good in that. I mean, yeah. it's a really mm-hmm. good like goodbye from that cast, and they. I wish they had left that, but that's a well and discussion a for another things. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of the same people that did two did, did, did six. six, right? As far as yeah. the, right. behind the camera, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, I, I, an, ep- an episode I really liked uh, with with a uh, really young Terry Gar. Uh, oh yeah, and uh, Robert Lansing as Gary Seven. It was kind of a backdoor pilot spinoff show. Was well, it? Was. Yeah. They were it was supposed to... to be. Yeah, it was called yeah. Earth. I really liked that episode a lot. I mean, Terry Gar. It was a good episode. Yeah, but it, it, I was. I thought that was fun. Um, um, the, this episode here, I see it number. I don't want to jump around, jump ahead, or whatever. But number nine, yeah. uh, I remember seeing that one, the Doomsday Machine, as yeah. a child, oh, and being great. terrified by it. All because of William Wyndham's performance as Commodore Decker. Yeah. I mean, he sold being scared of that thing to me, you know. Big time. Oh, and when yeah. they end up having to shove an entire, entire Enterprise class, you know, ship up this thing's throat just to, like, you know, cause it to explode after and dark. And it hyped me you know? so much for the, yeah. um, the the motion picture because you, you find son. out that that's his son. Yeah. So, right. And then to, to what happens to him in that movie, it's like, ooh, that family can't catch a break. <laughs> it's, it's number four on Entertainment Weekly's list. Yeah, See, I, I would put that, that closer to four, too. me as a kid. Just was like, you know, just for, and I remember that performance, like I said, of William Wyndham, especially in that episode. So. Yeah, so Captain memorable. Ahab. Captain so, Ahab. Yeah, exactly. The, like that obsessive kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that we'll get, yeah, absolutely. Spacey was number five. Number six was the Galileo Seven. I didn't really agree with that one. It's a good episode. I wouldn't say it's one of the top ten, but it we're spotting not, a lot. It's yeah. not on IGN or Entertainment. All right, so someone must have liked it who did this list. Number seven, definitely up there. Amok time. <laughs> yeah, Spock is in the heat. Oh yeah, all sometimes. I think I've got a little something from Amok Time. Let's see if I can. The, that the music in in the the battle. Oh, I, I, I may I may so iconic, you know? I may have something for you. Hang on, here we go. Now wait a minute, ma'am. Who said anything about a fight to the death? These men are friends. Force them to fight till one of them is killed. I can forgive such a display only once. Challenge was given and lawfully accepted. 
has begun. Let no one interfere. That little noise you heard was Kirk getting his shirt ripped. Right. <laughs> of course, you had to that, do that. that was an, I mean, that soundtrack, I mean, the, starting off with those bongos, I, I would love to hear just an isolated soundtrack track of that. That was great. Yeah, they oh, did a special yeah. sound yeah. just for that episode, and it's great. Yeah, I think it was Kaplan that did that one, and really amazing, amazing job. And how many of us have hummed that? Even as <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, man, there's that, scene, there's that scene in The Cable Guy. Yeah, I was going to mention Jim is fighting Matthew Broderick where he's like, The Simpsons. It's been parodied so many times. Oh, yeah. An old roommate of mine in the 90s, we each had these kittens that we got, and they would constantly fight at each other and stuff, and we'd just sit there in the living room watching them go, <laughs> oh, that's such an iconic song. Oh, and every time my ex girlfriend used to make me and my friend fight for her love, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just me. It's just... Luckily, well, luckily you knew a country doctor who could simulate your death long enough to sneak you back to the show. Oh my god, how many times did you die and then come back? Jim, <laughs> Jim. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. Uh, Number eight on this list is Journey to Babel. Again, pretty memorable. I wouldn't put it in the top ten, but... Yeah, I wouldn't put it up that high. It was a good one. one. It's number ten on Entertainment Weekly's top ten. Okay, so we're jumping around. I mean, that one's, yeah. I, you meet Spock's folks, and it's kind of a whodunit mystery. Kind of some action. Not a bad one there. Uh, number nine, is, as Jim said, as Jim said, the Doomsday Machine. Uh, we talked about that. Just an amazing episode of television. Number ten, uh, uh, this one's also not in my top ten, The Enterprise Incident. Where they oh, encounter the Romulan ship. Oh, yeah. That's number nine on Entertainment Week. I like that one a lot. Okay. Okay. So maybe it's got mixed reviews. Where they steal the cloaking device. And... Right. Yeah. Spock I love that. Though, it was a and stuff. Like, it was yes. an actual military mission. And to I'd, have it yeah. where Spock actually had to seduce a, a woman to steal uh, yeah. <laughs> military plans. I mean, that, that was, uh, that, that was kind of cool. I like that. Well, so much First of Star Trek. televised Terran Vulcan kiss. Ah, or Romulan, I guess. Romulan. Or, or Romulan. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, I, this Desilu did a Mission Impossible too, didn't they? So a lot of the same sets and the same it, it has right. the same feel as Star Trek and Mission Impossible does. So that one. Lucille Ball is who greenlit the pilot in '64 for the original pilot of Star Trek, and then she also was the one who greenlit Mission Impossible and Outer Limits. Maybe wow. no. They, um, they yeah, shared a lot of supporting cast. A lot of, you'll see a lot of the supporting the same actors, actors. From, yeah. uh, Mission Impossible. And I mean, Nimoy was on Mission Impossible. Sure, sure was for Martin Landau's. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, number eleven, and this would be in my top ten, is the Corbamite maneuver. Yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. We're gonna bluff you. Oh no, I've already bluffed you way, way bigger. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not on any of their top ten, but it's Clint Howard. Hey. Clint it would Howard be. The alien, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's Tranya, a... I find yeah. it refreshing. Uh, <laughs> his laugh is the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, good stuff. And that alien's really creepy, too. The, his fake puppet alien that he uses. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty it was good always stuff. in the closing credits, too. They always yeah. show that guy. They always You're showed right. that one. Yeah. Uh, number 12 on this list, The Trouble with Tribbles. Classic. Oh, yeah. Classic. That should be top 10 all the way. I mean, that would be yeah. in my top five right there. I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. Um, it's number five on IGN and number seven on Entertainment Weekly. I mean, some of the best episodes of Star Trek had that humor element in it. I mean, or- Cyrano Jones. <laughs> Hello, I'm Cyrano Jones, and I say everything like this. <laughs> and don't call the Enterprise a garbage scow. That's all I yeah. can say. Oh, no. That causes some, some serious bar fights. Uh, 13 in early episode was Charlie X. That was pretty that was cool. A good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was like a, a, a Twilight Zone. It's like a reoccurring story in, in a lot of things. Yeah. What like 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 Billy Mummy's character in Twilight Zone? I'll send you mm-hmm. to the cornfield type of thing. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Yeah. Yeah. There was a really chilling shot though of of I remember having someone having their mouth erased by Charlie X and yep. seeing that as a child being pretty pretty shocked by that. So you're a girl. Yeah, I'm a girl. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Number fourteen, the devil in the dark. Okay. The Horta, no kill right? eye. No kill eye. No kill eye. <laughs> <laughs> we all remember this all these years later. It's of so course. cool. Uh, 15, all of our yesterdays. Uh, oh, that's with the Atavacron? Is that right? Is it? With Mr. Yeah, Mr. Atos? Is that the one? Uh... Where they go back and they're in three different like time periods. and uh... I'm pretty sure it is. Mm. Okay. 16, Taste of Armageddon. That's a good one. Yeah, where they're actually they're fighting the entire war over computer with a non seven, and they're fighting. Yeah, the the. Um... So basically, they predicted World of Warcraft like mm-hmm. years ahead of time. <laughs> you ever Without watched... the human sacrifice, though. What, what is it? Kevin Pollock does a really good uh, Shatner impression. Yeah. He always does the speech yeah, does. from he A Taste does. of Armageddon, and I clipped that speech. Let me uh, let me pull it up real second. Here we go. Awesome. Death. Destruction, disease, horror. That's what war is all about, Anon. That's what makes it a thing to be avoided. You've made it neat and painless. So neat and painless, you've had no reason to stop it. And you've had it for 500 years. Since it seems to be the only way I can save my crew and my ship, I'm going to end it for you. One way or another. <laughs> but when I hear that now, I hear Kevin Pollock. That, that that's the crazy part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which which one is the one? I'm trying to think of the episode where uh, Spock is trapped with uh, his crewmen, and he's trying to figure out a way to to save them. And the uh, they, it's a whole thing of a question of Spock's heritage. Like you're not human. You don't care about human life. Uh, that wasn't uh, Galileo Seven. Was it Galileo? Yeah, they're, the... they're on the shuttlecraft, right? And they, they keep attacking. Okay, yeah, Spock yeah, it is. That. Okay, yeah, that's. That, I love that one too. Is that, yeah, I like that, that really? I, I always like that one a lot. And that's why it was in the top yeah. ten, I guess. I mean, other people, I didn't think it was my top ten, but it wasn't. It was number uh, was it four or five or something like that. So it was up there. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, a good story. Number six, actually. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, let's see. Here's going through a little bit more. Uh, tomorrow is yesterday. We did that one. There's uh, two. There's number seventeen. The, the only one to make. I guess villain or whatever to really make a return appearance, and that's uh, Harry Mud. And right. so, right. yeah, that's yeah, it. Mud's women and I Mud, which I Mud always, I Mud was funny because we, I can't, I get him confused. 
one of them is I think I Mud is the one where they don't even know it's him until like three quarter of the way through the episode because it's like all the He's fembots Captain or whatever. Walsh or something. Uh, or no, 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 that's that's Mud's women. Oh, it's Mud's women. Okay. Mud's women. Okay. Because okay. you know, if I am lying, then I'm telling the truth. But if I'm telling the truth, then I am lying. <laughs> yes. I, it's like yeah. smoke to come out of the fembots ears. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If it was only that easy. <laughs> I got to know that character in the comic books before I saw him in reruns. And... Harcourt Fenton Mud. Yeah. yeah. And he and... showed up in the animated series too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Harcourt. <laughs> uh, number 18, The Naked Time. Okay. Sulu with the sword. Yeah. That's a good that... one. Oh, my. And, and then they revisit <laughs> that in The Naked Now in the first is first season of next generation like the first right? episode yeah. of the next gen yeah almost. they yeah. kind of tied it to that with the... i mean farpoint and Enca- encounter at farpoint is uh the first episode but i think it was like the third it's the third, third episode yeah, third. yeah. okay it's considered the third episode because that's when data has sex with um with tasha, tasha. Yeah. Uh, the time is when we get Ensign Kelly for like this episode and then never see him again you know? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Number 19. It was very interesting when IDW, when they were redoing these uh, episodes, but in the J.J. Abrams timeline, mm-hmm. and and when they did The Naked Time, it was very Yeah, that's in the Star Trek book that's currently running now in IDW, where yeah. uh, it's catching up to, but it's, they change it up, but they're dealing with stories that would have been done uh, in the, in the uh, original timeline. Yeah, alternate version of the alternate same version, same yeah. events. Okay, yeah. number nineteen, which would have been also in my top ten, a piece of the action. Oh Fizz yeah, man. Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah. learn how to play Fizzbin, buddy. <laughs> Only on Tuesday. I always <laughs> like the ones where it's like an alternate. They get, they go to a planet and there's you know some somehow it's it's a version of Earth. You know, bread and circuses, piece of the action. Oh you know, yeah, they, there's a few that they've done that way where it's Mortis for Adonis. Yeah. So okay, the, the Greek thing, right? Yeah. Uh, twenty is the apple. Um, Twenty-one is the menagerie. Part one. That was one and an two. episode that really dealt with like the Prime Directive. You know what I mean? Like they argued yeah. a lot about the Prime Directive. Oh yeah. Episode. Yeah. Uh, twenty-one and twenty-two is uh, well, actually twenty-one is the menagerie. Parts one and two. I guess they're lumping them together. I'm a big fan of that. You you talked about that for a little while, Russ. And um, yeah, I would rate that definitely higher. I think it's Way a great higher. one. Yeah. Now, the question yeah. is, do you like the menagerie better than the cage? And I think I want to say yes. I do. Okay. I do. Because it, it yeah. seems to be cut just – I know there's a whole other story going on there, but it just seems to be cut better than the original of the cage, at least from what we the version that's out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I'm a big fan of the cage. Like, I, I think <clears> it was a really cool episode and well-written. Well, it, it was something else to have the number one officer – you know, was a woman played by Majel Barrett, and that you know, that script was yeah. so misogynistic. Though, I mean, it was just yeah. like, I well, mean, they pushed yeah. it. Yeah, they pushed the envelope. I guess in the mid '60s, that was cool, but I mean, well, look at Khan. I mean, they pushed it throughout the series. Look at Khan. I mean, yeah, it's true. He, right? She was a archaeologist and stuff, but she fell under his sway. Like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever uh, hear Majel Barrett tell the story of her going from? that in the pilot to nurse chapel number one no what would what, she say well she was talking about so when when they nixed it they said you know they still had interest they liked the concept and you know gave roddenberry a chance to do it again <laughs> and they got to keep certain elements but 
he was only allowed to keep one character. And it was either his girlfriend, Majel Barrett, number one, or it was going to be his favorite character, Leonard Nimoy, Spock. So, you know, his choice was marry the girl, keep keep the Vulcan, uh, which Leonard Nimoy later once, once said he would have really not liked the other situation. <laughs> uh, but um, there was a rule that if... Uh, Something with uh, CBS or something like that. There was or NBC. I forget which it was on, but some rule that if you were on a failed pilot, you couldn't play another character in a new pilot for the same series or something like that. One and you're and, done, huh? That's it. Yeah, something. <laughs> I forget exactly what it was, but anyway, she wanted to be on the series, and she came in, did the blonde wig, you know, did herself all up. She auditioned. For Roddenberry, who had no idea it was her, and he cast her, <laughs> and then she revealed who she was, and it was, oh, wow. and he ended up having to fight to, to keep his decision casting her. So very interesting. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, Nurse Chapel, and uh, she obviously married to Roddenberry was in almost every Star Trek series until she passed, unfortunately. Her voice as well. Her computer yeah, voice. Computer. Yeah. Yeah, for a long time. Uh, I could see why, though, talking about the cage just for a little bit, just for another second here, I could see why it didn't get picked up. There wasn't much fun happening in that. It was a very, like, Captain Pike, although I loved what Hunter did with the character, was just pretty worn out. He was pretty sour. He was conflicted. He was ready to quit. Like, he was, he was quit. on the end. He was ready to quit. I mean, they yeah. did that with Cisco too, in the beginning of that series. And, you know, I, I, but I just, he, it was just, there wasn't much fun happening in that, in this, this ship. It seemed like a pretty not fun place to be, where the second pilot, which was, um, uh, what is it? Where no man has gone before. At least they had a little more fun to it. You know, you see Kirk right. and Spock playing chess, and they had and they had a little relationship with with his buddy, um, and, and it it just it felt more human. So I can well, see there why. was a symmetry to that episode, and then what they did with Wrath of Khan with with Kirk, like they were at a certain point of their lives where they were not happy, yeah. and they needed. And he, when he went through what he went through on that planet, that was kind of his catharsis to, to kind of embrace his life and where he was in his life before the horrible accident, and then he got this, you know, paralyzed. But right. he went through that adventure was kind of the thing to kind of give him that, uh, you know, it kind of refreshed him in a way. And the same thing with Kirk, even though he lost Spock. And and Wrath of Khan, it's still they still he needed something to kind of bring him back to life, and he and like at the end when he says, "I feel he feels so alive," you know, he feels so young. He feels young in Star Trek too. He says, "Yeah," that. and it's yeah. it's they, they go through the similar thing, and I wonder, you know, if they kind of looked at that and when and it would have been interesting too because Jeffrey Hunter died in 1969. Oh um, wow! Yeah, he died very young. Yeah. And, uh, so it would have been really interesting. I mean, you talk about changing the course of events. I mean, you know, how, what, you know, rev- what would show revival, like? you know, yeah, what would that have been like with, mm-hmm. you know, they would have been forced in a comeback to recast the role of the captain. Totally. Um, you know, and who knows how well that would have went over or not went over. So it was. Who knows it was how well the show would have done in reruns without Bill Shatner at the helm. I mean, That's, he yeah. brought a lot to that role. Oh, know. sure, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So he he, 
he commanded every scene, even scenes where he was more being the supportive in the scene. He still commanded the scene. Period. I mean, it was about the for the most part. It was it was him, uh, Spock, and McCoy. For the most part, and, yeah. and most of the series, which were, you know, kind of was, you find out behind you, we didn't know behind the scenes, but you kind of get a sense of, you know, some of them were not that happy about that. But that was basically where the gist of most of the stories were of that, you know, that trinity. Yeah, it's a great relationship. And that chemistry is really what kept the show going. I oh, yeah. I mean, that's oh, yeah. really what it's all about. We've seen Star Trek and other shows where that chemistry is not quite there, and mm-hmm. it's a little more painful to watch, that's for sure. The, uh, the funny thing about the show, too, is it aired out of order. That's so, a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. where No Man Has Gone Before actually aired third, which I can imagine, like, if you're watching that week to week. The uniform <laughs> change, yeah. and, yeah, it's mm-hmm. all weird. And then all yeah. of a smiling like, a bit. Yeah. Wait, what's going on here? Right? Eyebrows are pointing straight up. Yeah, they right. all have the different they, uniforms, and they even so- had to do a book to to kind of try to explain. Like they did a in one of the books uh, to try to explain why Spock goes from um, somebody who's just smiling and then reacting and so emotionally to oh, yes. situations, and then going <laughs> to the stoic version of Spock that we know. And they basically they explain it w- with. Um, it's a flashback of Spock's life in the book, and he's basically saying that he, when he joined Starfleet, that was like him, like as we go to college, and like college, you experiment, and his experimentation was to uh, mimic emotions. He was trying to figure out if he wanted to even do that. He wanted to deal with emotion at all. Wow. Nimoy once said that it took two or three episodes it wasn't until like the fourth or fifth episode where he had finally developed you know because Roddenberry let him really you know run with it on development of the character and uh, it took you know three four episodes before he really found what was the Vulcan yeah and it, there's a website out there uh, it's called the, the Star Trek Chronology Project or something they actually create a list it's very simple you can go to the websites right on their homepage and if you follow the order of episodes that they have listed, it makes more sense. It's right. like the cage, then where no man has gone before, and then it goes from there. You know, it kind of takes yeah. it. So it's I, I, there was some one of my friends watched all the Star Trek series, and he never watched the original series. He was just finishing up Enterprise, and I said, "Listen, man, you got to watch the original series." But I'm going to give you this printout. I got it off the website. I said, "You got to watch them in this order on Netflix. Don't go by the Netflix order." Because that's the order that they aired on television. Go by this, and it would make a little bit more sense for you. Sally Kellerman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I second that. Uh, just going through the list real quick, because there's a couple more memorable ones in this top, uh, at least the top third of the list. The Enemy Within. That's where there's two Kirks, right? Uh, that yeah. Was yeah. Oh, yeah. that was yep. another hammy one, too. How yeah. many of these top episodes were in the first season, though? Yeah, I mean a lot of them. Yeah, and that's unusual for television. I mean, Star Trek yes, especially, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, usually it takes about well, three or four seasons to get the rhythm going, and then Star well, Trek. Didn't was the kind opposite. of the whole tone change once Fred Freiberger took over as the producer in the I think it was the second half of the second season. Okay, they yeah. switch production or they switch switch producers. That's why the third season has like a lot of really kind of cheesier episodes, Big and well, it didn't help that the ratings that. were were. That's the thing is, um, you know, the the network and everything, they were looking at uh, the ratings explosion that was Batman. Mm. And 
the they were campy and cheesy and colorful and out you know way out there outlandish stories and that's that was you know pretty much his marching orders after he wrapped the second season was start bringing in these type of elements into it and they did and it it there's a lot of not so spectacular episodes in the third season well they say it kind of pretty much killed the show by uh like third season did yeah yeah well, they canceled it at the end of the second season, and you know there was the whole letter writing campaign and all that that went on. And you know, I think looking back at it, uh, it probably was more of a stunt pull by the network. But um, you know, it, it was canceled, and it, and then you know it was fought for this third season, and the marching orders were campy, cheesy, colorful, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> and people did not like that. For the most part, there was one... wasn't Lost in Space like beating it in the ratings or something? There was some sort of rivalry there between the two shows, and Lost in Space was like, like really, that, yeah. really can't be. And they yeah. like, that was part of the reason they took it in that direction. It could have been because it was, it was I, the I think, real family friendly show. When it was an, Lost in Space was a typical Irwin Allen show too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, you know, and it was so. It was more for kids, anyway. I mean, yeah, but there was one good third uh, season episode, the Tholian Web. Oh yeah, that, that's ranked number twenty three on this list. Next yeah. one up, that's yeah. actually ranked number two on my list. Wow, that's a big difference right there, huh? Well, I don't know. For some reason, and I, maybe they reran this one more or something on uh, WGN, but I just, I this episode just captured my mind. You know, I just. It, it was very interesting to me this alien race and you know the the whole the whole thing with the Tholian web which I think the the Nova Corps did much better in uh, Gardens of the Galaxy um, but you know that whole that it just captured my imagination and then Kirk being gone and the and his two senior officers having to put aside their differences right. There's a in lot going order. on there. It's a lot of stuff, a lot of science, oh, and a lot of the yeah, the command str- struggle with I mean, Spock, and yeah. In the political science realm nowadays, Tholian Web is actually a term that they use when they talk about, um, you know, when politicians get stuck having to deal with lobbyists and all the crap that goes on with that is uh, they call that a Tholian web uh, based off of this episode and and I can see I mean there was a lot of metaphors going on but the main thing there was you know two people that have to respect each other as officers but obviously have differences and have had to put those differences aside yeah, so there were several episodes, I mean, really, that were memorable, the Tholian Web being one of them. Uh, There's a few more on this list, I think, that are worth mentioning. Uh, let's see here. The Return of the Archons is up here. That's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, court Martial, definitely a good, like a, like a court show. It's amazing how Star Trek can kind of morph between, you know, a submarine <laughs> action to a court show to, <laughs> you know, they have different flavors for each of the shows. And The Next Generation did that, too. Oh, you know, yeah. Where we had, you know, data basically going on trial to save his child's life, you know, that kind of thing. So. And before yeah. that, LA he had track. to go on trial. Done, done. Yeah, Remember? yeah. yeah. To, to, to prove he, he was a living being. Yeah. yeah, the measure of a man, I think it was. On the yeah, generation. measure of a man. That's uh, good. Um, yeah. When did we get Space Lincoln? Uh, oh, so, man. So was Space that's, Lincoln. Tw- that's all oh. up on the list. Yeah, it's a- oh, okay. <laughs> Me too, yeah. Sorry. What about, what was the episode where they were at the Space OK Corral? What yeah, about that the- one? 
the the what is Spectre it, the of the Gun, gun? I think Spectre it's called. Gun. Yeah, right? yeah. Let me see what, what number that one came in at. Uh, Forty three. That one came in at. I'm sorry, I I, I kid because I, I I don't know. I'm a big no, but this is... fan. So I mean, those are some of the goofier episodes. But, but they stick out in your memory. That's why we're talking about this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really, I remember it's a... Space Like It very vividly as Space... a kid, though. Even then, at like mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. years old, I'm like, oh, really? Which one was that called again? I don't remember that the name. Savage Curtain. Yeah. Let me see and what that came Vulcan. Yeah, the Vulcan. Number 44, right over the specter of a gun. Yeah, it's right there. Man, I can't believe right. those are middle-of-the-road episodes. <laughs> yeah, they, the, yeah. they fight against Hitler and Genghis Khan. The Savage yeah. Curtain was the third-to-last episode of the series. Mm-hmm. Metamorphosis, that was another episode. That was a good one. Zephram Cochran. Zephram, yeah, they, mm-hmm. the companion. They find out he got blasted <laughs> uh, to to the far side of the galaxy. I like the Gamesters of Triskelion. That's a great one for me. Yeah. What is this thing called? Love, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that girl with that silver hair and the silver bikini. Uh, the Squire of Gothos. What was yeah. the episode That's where a great Spock one. gets uh, zapped by the space LSD in the plant? Uh, like, I'm not coming back, Jim. Was that... Yeah. The- Apple? He's no. like, I will put no. you in, that, in the Sioux with the half, you know, with the half, half breed. With you the know. spores, right? When it's the spores. Um, yeah, oh, spores. Uh, this side of paradise, it's called. Yeah, that's number forty-six. Right next to the dog-faced boy, you know. <laughs> yeah, what's uh, the one where, oh, where uh, Kirk is turned into an android, and then uh, that's an earlier one too. What is the one where Kirk joins the Space Indians and becomes Kirok? Oh, Kirok, right. That's a good one, too. I am Kirok. I am Paradise Syndrome. (laughs) Oh, man. The Paradise Syndrome? Yeah, that's a good one. Right, right. Uh, Some good stuff. Where does Mark Gideon come in on that list? That was a weird one, man. That was just... That was a way out there one. 69. Yeah, out of 79. (laughs) (laughs) Um. The guy the, who the portrayed uh, Cyrano Jones in Trouble with Tribbles wrote that one. That was just a weird one. Let's talk about the bottle yeah. episode, man. It's like, no, it's weird. Just weird. Yeah. The one where Kurt, um, um, McCoy's ex-girlfriend turned out to be a salt monster. Oh, the salt one. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was yeah watch that. That freaked my, no. my oh. I'm sorry. That flipped yeah. my lid when I was a kid, man. Oh, yeah. Operation that was Island. one of the early ones I saw. Because yeah. yeah. remember, they, I think it's the... Uh, it was an old flame of his, and but the thing was, every, they all saw a different person. Like uh, Kirk right. saw her as older, and she looked, and and McCoy saw her as it was the same when as she he was, was in love with her, yeah. right? And he's telling McCoy, and McCoy is like, "Oh my gosh, she hasn't changed a bit. She's still beautiful." It's called the man trap. The man trap. Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and um, Kirk is like, uh, "She's all right, but I wouldn't call her all that." Like, yeah, right. And the guy says, "Isn't that you look something like I met on Hershey's Pleasure Planet?" One of the red shirts said that. Yeah, because that's what was his, on his Pleasure mind. Planet. It's, <laughs> it's near Hershey, PA, and a lot of people know about that one. One of the other lines from the extras got me from the cage when that that guy is laying there and they're in the Orion, uh, you know, the girls dancing. Nice place you got here, Mister Pike. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite lines. Now, I'm sorry, one more. I'm going to ask you guys because uh, you know the names of the episodes much more than I do. I remember there was one where they, they punished people by taking all the moisture out of their body and they became like this little sponge. Uh, and they the like crushes the... the sponge into oh, dust. Oh, yeah, I'm like, that was a good one. I'm like, oh my God, he killed that guy. <laughs> oh, what was yeah, the name of that one? Uh, yeah. 
You guys should know this. What is that? Like? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember. They those little things in their belt. Be like, oh my god, he killed that guy by crushing that sponge. Damn it! What was the name of that? Was that the second season? It was with the the, the guy and the girl, and they they have the little thing in their belt, and they can yeah. yeah, and they can control the people. Oh, I can't remember the name of that one. And he seduced the, of course, Kurt right. seduced her. Exactly. I think um, it's the second season. They, they that stole one. that idea for the Batman '66 movie. When they end up turning the world leaders, they, they say they take all the water out of their eyes. Oh, right, and right. Dust and they all get mixed up and speak each other's languages, but it was a similar concept, but yeah. Yeah, that was a good one, though. I do remember that one as well. Yeah, so many great ones. I mean, even the even the bad ones are still good Star Trek. So or the one where the uh, the aliens were all in, in giant disco balls, and then they had to, like, infuse themselves in oh. the and Diana Muldar. Sargon. I am Sargon. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, they talked in, uh, in with a lot of reverb when they were possessed, you know, that's mm-hmm. how you could tell. Yeah, that was a good the Deadly one, Years? Was I was that, just going to say that. That's, I was a, just, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of one they've done in various forms, you it's know, either... Old. Getting older, getting younger, kind of you know, kind of concept sure. they've done. In Star of course, Trek. you can't forget Finnegan and Shirley. <laughs> oh, sure, <laughs> Finnegan, Wolf in the Fold. When Scotty is ac- accused of murder, that was a good one. With uh, Space Jack the Ripper, yeah, that was a rough one. That was like a, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they kind of repeat that with Riker this time in uh, Next, uh, Next Generation, Generation, right? Yeah, the one with the globes and Sargon is Return to Tomorrow. That's what that was called. And they. They try to build androids of the, you know, they can transmit into the, them, and that was a good one, though. So, listen, a lot of memorable episodes out of 79, and we can remember all these after all these years. It definitely says a lot about the series. Um, I guess enough talking about the, each individual episode. Just real quick, I mean, all of you guys are collectors and have a lot of, I should say most of you, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, Richard, you sent me some pictures today of your, your, your shrine of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you maybe go and spend a few minutes each of us talking about, or if there are any experiences, have you met any of the actors, signed photos, convention experiences, that type of thing? Well, I've met all seven, um, and a few of them I've met several times. And I've actually been at a dinner with William Shatner before. Um, a lot of stuff that I've done on the con circuit and everything, I've I've got to interact with the actors several times of both generations. Um, what do you mean dinner with Shatner? Can you just like talk, can you paint me a picture about that one? <laughs> well, um, I was I, at I, White Castle and he was at one end of the castle. No, 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 I was no, at no, the no. other. So it was like having dinner with him. <laughs> so I've known I've known Michael Rooker for a few years now, okay. and. I was, it was a convention down in Dallas. We were in the reunion, uh, tower hotel there. And, uh, basically it was after the Friday night opening of the Dallas comic-con. It was just a dinner. It was a bunch of people there. Uh, Rooker, Shatner, um, a few people that did voices on Pokemon or something. Uh, the guy who played the the Green Ranger. Um, oh, he's very yeah, yeah. He's Jason yeah. something or other, or whatever. Yeah. Um, Brent Spiner, um, Stan Lee. I mean, it was a it was an awesome dinner to be at. I was very humble. I mean, and there were a lot of other people too, but it was just uh, kind of the opening of the con night thing. So it was cool. Very. Cool. I think the same agent covers all of them because I think the Power Ranger people are usually always do the. Whatever well, my, my friend Juliet, my friend Juliet that reps Rooker for the cons, she reps 
whatever that guy, the Green Ranger, and mm. she reps Spiner, and she reps a lot of those people that I mentioned. So yeah, because they were at that con with all the Trek people too. I remember that. Yeah, but as far as uh, you know, paraphernalia, um, one of the first things I, I remember getting, and I re- it was one of the first I think ever licensed properties for a McDonald's Happy Meal. And that was the Star Trek, the motion picture. And I got like this little Spock ring and I still have that ring. And I still have the, I still have the, um, collection of all. I went back over the years and got all of the happy meal boxes. Um, but yeah, I have, I still have a mint on card, original Mego captain Kirk, um, you probably saw that in that picture I sent you. You got a lot in that picture, man. You have a. Um, you have a I have. I mean, it's just I, it goes on and on. I I have uh, laser discs for, of episodes. Yeah. Uh, I've got VHS of episodes. I have that entire Columbia House run of all the episodes. I also have all the Columbia House of the Next Generation episodes, and those were expensive freaking tapes back then. Twenty four bucks a tape or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I, this, I'm gonna, you're going to break your heart because I picked up like almost a complete run of those for literally a buck a piece here. Yeah, at a flea market. When, I know, I know how much they were when they first came out. They were like twenty bucks a piece, and now I mean, because I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. getting into collecting VHS now, and I ended up, uh, you know, scoring like all those for like about a buck a piece. Yeah. And I mean, you got two episodes of tape, but um, I have, oh God, I can't even, countless, countless action figures, uh, <laughs> um, just, you know, models of the ships, you know, still unpackaged. It's just crazy. I have, uh, um, God, I can't even, I could just go on. I've got an entire run, almost the entire run of the Gold Key comics. I have the also all the uh, the, the the Star Trek record and comic. Oh, those the, are fun. Yeah, yeah book and records. I, yeah. I, I have Tower I have Records. Yeah. Towers. Or Tower yeah. or Power, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so yeah, and I mean I've been I've been like I said, I've been going to con since I was fifteen. Um, you know, the first con I went to, I met uh Jimmy Doohan. Um, you know, I got to shake his hand, you know, in the you know, little line type thing and um you know, I have autographs of all of them, uh, some of them with pictures with me with them. But um, the only one I never got an autograph from was DeForest Kelly. And that was I only met him at one con. And because of his arthritis or whatever, this was like only a couple of years before he died. Um, they they limited it to 100 signings. So they did a lottery. And I didn't get a signature, and then you know I never got to see him again. So, but uh, he's the only one I don't have at least one autograph of. Um, I, I I've met. Uh, um, I'm drawing a blank. All of a sudden, Chekhov. Um, I've met him at uh, several cons, and uh, but the first the the first time that I ever got to interview him was it was a con down in San Antonio. Or yeah, San Antonio, and it was his first appearance after his son had just killed himself. So mm-hmm. it was a really tough interview to do, and I only got a few minutes. So it was it was kind of hard to be lighthearted because he was yeah. not there. You could tell, but uh, mm-hmm. um, very interesting people. It, it was really fun. I just met Michelle Nichols again for <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times. Just uh, just last year, and. Uh, 
just full of life. She, I mean, this was just before she had her stroke too. So it was right. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, they, they, they were all interesting people to talk to and fun to talk to and meet and all those conventions. Just fun. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, yeah, um, great experiences and, and just a great cast. And, and they do still do, I mean, Michelle is still doing cons, as far as I know, even after the stroke. She's still wearing yeah, different so. things. Yeah, she was just at one this weekend. I forget which one, but yeah. But this is the 50th anniversary, I know. And, Daryl, we were talking before the recording here. Um, you said they're having a big con in New York at the Javits Center. Um, yeah, I think yeah. the first one for the Javits Center. I think the first... Uh... Star Trek one they're going to have. That's going to be huge. I mean, I, I go to the auto show every year at the Javits Center and numerous other things. So, I mean, I'm looking for – I'll definitely try to get to that. But when is that going to be? Uh, hold on. It like September 2nd or hmm. – So I might have time to sack away a few bucks to try to uh, – Can I borrow your couch, Daryl? September 2nd through the 4th. <laughs> well, you got to give it back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very yeah, cool. they're still announcing. I think the the first name that they announced was William Shatner was going to be there, of course. Are tickets on sale yet, or I think they are now. I'm have to, if I was looking at it, out. yeah, that's pretty. And of course, the big one uh, for those people that go to conventions is Las Vegas. That's the ultimate Star Trek convention every year. I mean, that's the biggest one. I think everybody shows up who's who's involved, at least that can. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creation, I think it's called out there. And yeah, um, you can still get the tickets there. Uh... If they're they're like 135 for the whole three days, and then 55 for Sunday, 70 for Saturday, and 55 for Friday. Okay, so a little cheaper to buy the three day package if you're going all three days. Yeah. But the, I know I know for the 50th in Las Vegas they are planning some uh, like a big hoopla this year. It's, it's it's a big deal. They're doing a they're recreating the set the bridge set I believe of the Enterprise D. Mm-hmm. I want to say they're doing a lot of things that they don't usually do for a con. They're making some kind of holodeck. They're doing some really different things inside where where it is at the convention center in Las Vegas, and uh, it's 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 that's the place to be. I think if you're a Star Trek fan, is is, is the Las Vegas one this year especially uh, with the 50th and, and the new movie coming out. So uh, if you're into the con circuit, but uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this too, the fan fiction or fan films that are out there. There's a really good one called Star Trek Continues. Have you guys ever watched I've that on YouTube? I have. Okay. It's it's good. It's good, right? I mean, there's other ones out there called the the, the New Voyages, I think it's called. Um, that one's also pretty good. But the Star Trek Continues, the premise is, we're even mentioning it, it's very faithful to the original series. They've recreated the entire set, and they shoot it in 4.3, not 16.9. So it's actually the same square look you'd get on the original series. They, it's basically like the fourth season of Star Trek if it was made. That, that's what they're that's what they're doing with this series. So it's like they're picking up right where the end of the, of the third season was, beginning at the fourth season, and it's really really well done for fan fiction. I recommend you guys check it out if you haven't already. Star Trek continues. It's called. Well, aren't they also working on a new series now? They are working on a new series oh, yeah. at CBS. Oh yeah, right, yeah. And that you got to pay for. Yeah, the, like the first one's going to air, I think, on first CBS. First one's free. Right. <laughs> and the rest are going to be on All Access, CBS All Access or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, good. There's I also... have a membership to that. So. Okay. There's also oh, you that have big... mm-hmm. Yeah, because oh, okay. that's where I go catch my NCISs and all that stuff. 
<laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Uh, Murder She Wrote too. Um, <laughs> hey, hey. All that new stuff. Matlock. Murder She Wrote was great. I loved Matt Matlock. I loved it. <laughs> I, hey, I, I was a huge uh, Andy Griffith fan. Okay. Have you seen a face in the crowd? That's probably his best work ever. You should check that out. It's a great movie. Anyway, um, there's Is that, been that the one big... where he's the killer. No. Okay. No, not at all. It's black and white. Seriously, it's the best movie ever made. Um, there's been that big lawsuit with Paramount and uh, the makers of Axanar lately over the intellectual property rights, which has been interesting. Um, I, I hope they don't shut down the one I just mentioned. They haven't. I mean, they're still funding this one. The Star Trek continues, but I hope they don't shut that one down because it's really, really good. And uh, yeah, it's. I mean, they're not really profiting by it, you know, and they're. Is it's I don't know I, it raises a lot of interesting questions as to you know uh, IP ownership and you know mm-hmm. when things take on life of their own and what you know where where it begins and where it ends as far as that, that kind of uh, fan ter- for, uh, uh, participation you know it's interesting interesting conversation yeah they didn't do anything about it until they greenlit the new series like that's when because this huh. thing had. I think it was either Indiegogo or Kickstarter or both. It had several rounds of funding with Axanar. They, right. they, you know, started building sets and you know they did all this stuff. And then lo and behold, CBS announces they're going to do another Star Trek series. And then boom, all of a sudden these guys get slapped with C and you know not even just C and D's, but um, you know just just they, they get taken to court. Uh, but it's it, you know the other interesting thing too is with the whole movies and TVs when I guess it was when. Paramount split with Viacom, I guess, and Viacom still owns CBS or however that 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 split works. Paramount kept the movie pro- movie property, and CBS kept the TV series. So where it used to be all pretty much under one house, now technically they're two separate entities uh, that that split the rights. Hmm. So I guess that's the whole thing with the series. They agreed oh. that they couldn't start a series within six months of the movie. So that's why they pushed it to, I guess it's going to be early 2017 instead of 2016 because the movie comes out in June, I guess, or something like that. Right. So it would be, mm-hmm. it'd be next Well, spring. CBS got the TV rights when they bought Desilu. Right. Yeah, it's, it's been sold so many times it's hard to know who owns what. I guess, And that's why the courts are having to sort this out. So I hope everyone enjoyed this evening's special podcast talking about Star Trek. We're going to be having a series of podcasts leading up to the June release of the new movie, Star Trek Beyond. Our next podcast will feature um, all of the original series feature films. So Star Trek 1 or Star Trek the motion picture all the way through Star Trek 6, an undiscovered country. Uh, It will be a really great one. I hope everyone can join us. But before we close it out, if I'd like to just toss it over to you guys, where can our listeners hear you talking about other things besides Star Trek, starting with you, Russ? Uh, best place is just to uh, this very, very place, uh, hhwled.com. And uh, you can hear Daryl and I talk uh, Batman at Gotham by Geeks over at the Taylor Network of Podcasts.com. Jim? I too do a podcast with uh, Daryl Taylor over the Taylor Network of Podcasts uh, dot com with uh, professional comedian Donnie Salvo and myself and Daryl. Uh, nothing's on. All about TV and movies in a more general way. Also, uh, I'm the ringleader of the DC TV podcast here at HHWLOD. 
Facebook.com with uh, Chub Toad and Daryl and Jerry Atkinson talking about all the different TV based on DC properties. Uh, so check that out. And of course, Craig and, and Russ and myself and Chubb are all on The Walking Dead oh, yeah. TV podcast, uh, which just kind of wrapped up for the season. But I'm sure we're going to, we have to, we at least need to do one more episode to wrap up all the uh, listener comments yes. on the season finale. So And we have Fear of the Walking Dead, else. of course, starting actually Fear tonight. Fear of the Walking Dead is starting tonight, and we're going right, right into that. So right. finally, we get the resolution of Flight 468. <laughs> Aaron will be happy about that one. After all this time, oh, thank God. <laughs> I take it the plane crashed. <laughs> but those are both uh, those are both great places for all kinds of geeky podcasts that you will enjoy and love if you and this. And I too do a podcast with Daryl Taylor <laughs> um, and Jim, as he mentioned, DC TV podcast, The Walking Dead TV podcast. Um, I'm excited for tomorrow, and uh, I may be on a new podcast soon. Oh, excellent, Daryl. Uh, you can, of course, use all the ones that were mentioned. You can also hear me. Uh, we'll go with the Star Trek route. Uh, on JK's Happy Hour, um, that's me and JK Woodward, who's a comic artist who works on a lot of the Star Trek uh, projects. And uh, so you can go back and listen to that. And uh, we had previous episodes that deal with the comics. So if you wanted to get involved with the comics, we've had the editors at IDW uh, kind of talking about some of the things that they have coming up um, in the comic world to kind of celebrate uh, Star Trek. So you can you can hear it there. You just go to Taylor Network of Podcasts and all the podcasts are available on the site. Very cool. And thank you. And thanks, everyone, for joining me tonight. Uh, you can hear my other podcasts as well. I'm on the host of the Auto Chat Show. It's autochatshow.com. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Auto Chat Show, where we review new cars and discuss cars and pop culture. It's a lot of fun. I'm also on the Walking Dead TV podcast, as Jim mentioned. Also, have a great, great cast there and, and a lot of fun podcasting. So, thanks everyone for joining me tonight discussing Star Trek. Had a really great time talking about it, and it brings back great memories. I look forward to discussing with you the feature films, and then leading up after that, all the different series, The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and then uh, basically the new films after that. So it's, uh, it's going to be a great ride, and will take us right until the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. So once again, guys, thanks for joining us tonight. Live long and prosper. Yes. Good night.